This is Theory for Turntables, the TFT podcast. I'm Matt, and that's Ryan. Ryan, I was alone. I was all by myself. No one was looking. I was thinking of you. Matt, scream at me until my ears bleed. I'm taking heed just for you. (laughs) And we are not alone. Uh, We are joined by our friend Greg. Hey, Greg. Greg Weimer, can you hear me whining? (laughs) Hey, Matt. Hey, Ryan. Call me pathetic. Call me what you will. <laughs> okay. You're what you will. Yeah. Well, if that, if that last one didn't, didn't do it for you, that last little exchange, we're doing Green Day's classic album, uh, uh, modern classic. Do- well, I guess not that modern anymore. Dookie from 1994. I want to take us on a slight digression here. Remember, <laughs> remember back in the 70s during the golden age of punk when we were covering bands like the Ramones and the Sex Pistols? And I said, you know what would be great if someone could just take this punk kind of energy and the simplicity, almost kind of brutal simplicity of the song lyrics and the, the just the driving force and the, you know, the uh, kind of harness that and uh, just, just make it two or three notches more commercial. <laughs> Turns out my prayers were answered in, uh, in 1994, not just by Green Day, but by a whole, uh, a whole range of bands. But this is definitely the most successful and certainly the most long-lived. I mean, they are, uh, they've been releasing albums in a, in a continuous stream um, since, uh, since their indie debut, which was two records before Dookie. Uh, and they've been doing it on a world stage since Dookie catapulted them to, uh, to stardom. And this is like, you know, this is, again, this is for me, prime teenage music. I don't know. Did you guys have this? Uh, did, did you guys, you, you guys were aware of this, this record when it came out and it was kind of on in the buzz bin for you as well. Right. On, on different sides, right? So for me, I was I was twelve. I was immediately in that on that cusp of teenagehood uh, uh, in 1994, and this was the most important thing in my world for a very long year, for about a year. Um, I mean, because like you know, like the word masturbation is mentioned in Longview, and that's around the same time. I don't know if I don't know if Longview introduced me to the concept of masturbation, but it was like it was like up there, right? And if it wasn't if it wasn't Longview, it was the secret track all by myself that that right. introduced you to the concept of masturbation. Well, right. I mean, it's just like I mean, it's like oh. This this is this masturbation I've been hearing so much about. Um, and, uh, and, and no, but it was, it was so much. I mean, I was already, you know, I was into um, alternative rock. I, I, I had been into Nirvana. I was watching MTV regularly. Ryan, were you indie? Were you an indie child? <laughs> I was I was a child, you know. I was I was a suburban child. Um, but the the energy of uh, of Green Day just connected with me um, even more. Right, there was a a simplicity to it um, that even because I, I felt like with Nirvana. And with a lot of the other grunge bands, there was something I was missing. But I felt with uh, with Dookie, I was I I was in on the ground floor. I mean, once I figured out what masturbation was, I was I was good to go. Um, and so this was, and we could talk more about this. But this, I mean, I in talent shows, uh, lip synced uh, uh, when I come around. Uh, I and for that performance, I illicitly dyed my hair. My parents had forbade me from uh, dyeing my hair a color, and I. 
I disobeyed them. Uh, and, uh, and, and that was, you know, these are the axes of, of 12 year old Ryan rebellion, but uh, green day was a, a very salient uh, focal point for that and kind of watching, you know, and, and rewatching, um, uh, the music videos and the Woodstock performance, I realized how much this has shaped my musical taste to this day. And, you know, I went both deeper chronologically and into indie spheres in, in punk rock. But I think liking Green Day was was pivotal for me there. That's, um, I, I mean, that's an interesting argument for it, right? Like, it's easy to shit on Green Day as being like, uh, you know, as I kind of did, as the like the warmed over uh, or, you know, commercialized version of punk. But But what you're saying is that it was a gateway drug. Or a gateway, yeah. a gateway anti-drug. If you yeah. end up in yeah. the in the straight edge hardcore movement, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was the and, gateway punk. Yeah, and uh, I'm older than you guys, uh, so I was actually working in alternative radio uh, in in '94 when this came out. So uh, I was already, uh, you know, a twenty-something reality bites kind of guy. And if you think about the music, you know, the Nirvanas, the Stone Temple Pilots, the Cranberries, um, this was a polished fury compared to what was, you know, kind of more of a, a fuzzier fury with the what was coming out of the Pacific Northwest. And, it, you know, it didn't matter that it, it ushered you guys into maturity from your teen years. Somebody in the 20s could easily identify with it as well for the, the power and the polish that it had behind it. Yeah, uh, I mean, abs- absolutely, and and it mm, I, it does it serves a couple of functions, but what but one of them is it makes them sort of easier easier pills to swallow. It makes it easier because the the aesthetic form is not so alienating. It makes uh, the rage easier to access, and you know, as a, as a uh, as a teenage boy, if you if you don't have easy access to rage, you're gonna I don't know it's gonna it's gonna come out in a in a even more maladaptive way. Than than uh, listening to a lot of punk rock and and jumping around in uh, in the pit. Um, all right. Well, m- uh, maybe that's enough preamble. Uh, you you should go. Uh, you should go listen to uh, Dookie now. It's it's less than forty minutes long, all told. So you can listen to it seven or eight times. It's less than forty <laughs> minutes long, and there are like fifty songs on it. They're all. Each song is about tw- twenty seconds long. Uh, how, how do you really feel, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're great. I mean, like <laughs> there are no nine minute opuses like American Idiot. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. That. Well. Yeah. They got they got there later, um, but the, but it's definitely like uh, we sort of talk about we talk about albums that take uh, take advantage of the CD format. Actually, last week's Ready to Die was one of them. It's it's just the it's like almost all you can stuff onto a compact disc. This is half that. Uh, half that length, super economical, not an inch of wasted space, uh, and they even managed to they even managed to squeeze in uh, a secret track at the end, which was another thing that the sort of the the CD format. I, I, I'm going to take us down on a digression here. This was something that the the CD format enabled, right? Because on an LP, you can see where the grooves are cut. You can see if there's more music or not. You can get all Jack White and like put hide a track under the label, you know. But uh, but just in the course of a normal LP, you know where the music is. You know where it starts and stops because there's like physical, there's ocular proof, you know. Um, with, with a CD, yeah, it's all zeros and ones and it's all a, a shiny surface that you you're you know afraid to do anything but like rub from the center out with a damp cloth um anyway speaking of rubbing things from the center out go listen to dookie and uh join us here uh, after this word from our commercial sponsor 
Are you looking to dance to some loud guitar music? I have so much energy pent up inside, I don't even know what to do. How about you, Greg? I would very much like to dance, but I don't know how to. Why not try moshing? <laughs> That's a funny word. What does it mean? Oh, just slam into anything or anybody near you. It's very easy. Give it a try. Hold on it one second. Like yeah. Riding the subway. Okay, hold on. Here I go. <laughs> yep. Yep, you're moshing. Wow. That's I, moshing. I'm moshing. <laughs> My head hurts. You're, that means you're doing it right. Moshing. Just, just bang it. <laughs> and we're back. Guys, I have a question. Oh, the, oh. The, the, oh. The, the, the trollers become the trollies. <laughs> well, you know, as a long-time listener, first-time Skyper, I thought I'd jump in when I had the chance. Um, so without Dookie, would there be emo bands? So they say about the Pixies that, you know, the Pixies, uh, there weren't a lot of record sales, but every band that bought them started a band. And same thing with the Velvet Underground. Now, the difference with Dookie is they had millions of sales, but obviously some of them started emo bands out of this. And without the absolute uh, mainstream breakthrough of this type of sound, I'm not sure that we would have had emo come about five plus years later. I, I think you're right. Like, if, if, if putting it differently, if you wanted to like do the, you know, the the common counterfactual of, you know, uh, preventing the Holocaust by killing Hitler, but with emo <laughs> music, like, would you go back and stop Green Day? And I think, I mean, or would there be emo by other means, right? And um, I think that. I think the the answer is, and this will come as a great shock to both of you, a qualified yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Or a qualified, yeah, yeah. So that, that, you know, I think that Green Day did not create emo. I, I think the emo Petri dish was already, was already stocked with a number of the, um, of, of the organisms. And, um, I think Green Day was an emo catalyst, uh, and, and it, it, um, it accelerated uh, both the appetite for for pop pop punk for sure, which was another necessary condition for um, pop emo. And I think it probably, um, you know, as I was discussing earlier, was the gateway punk for a lot of teens and and twenty somethings um, in the uh, in in the early nineties that then you know some many of whom went on to form um, you know nth nth wave punk bands um, and some of which became uh, uh, emo right because there were lots of different kinds of punk that were kicking around in the underground um, you know th- uh, throughout the eighty you know, post punk both <laughs> generically and and chronologically um and a lot of those influenced um uh, alternative rock and uh, in, in ways that we've discussed but i think that what is really interesting is that green day you know went back at least in attitude and appearance and some musical elements to some of the earliest days of punk 
um, and and fuse that with some other elements of kind of, of indie rock, college rock, um, a number of other musical influences that were, I think, more aligned with alternative to have this thing that made punk kind of go big, made punk go pop, right? And, and I think that that was, um, at the very least, a catalyst for then what became, I mean, certainly certainly uh, uh, Blink-182 probably would not have happened on the scale that they did without uh, with, without Green Day. Um, and so that it's, it's pretty easy to start drawing those lines to Fall Out Boy and at the drive-in um and and so on um so yeah i think that's great i don't know matt what do you what do you think well i mean i think the answer uh, i mean uh, contra your answer i think the answer is a qualified yes um, <laughs> uh that that is to say like the the you know um there are there are always going to be sweet sweet rage lozenges there's there's always going to be a market for that right and like i think i think there there would have had to have uh if if uh if emo were not uh had not been invented it would have been necessary to invent it right like and and there was going to be a um uh there was going to be like all all forms of of entitled white male aggression need to uh find expression in two and a half uh two and a half minutes um in in happy two and a half minute uh, uh chunks and like that that was going to happen in in some in some way or another it the counterfactual i mean the counterfactual is is interesting right it's a it's a the sound it's a what is that ray bradbury story called a sound of thunder right where you go back and kill a dinosaur but he steps but spoiler alert he steps on a butterfly by accident and when he comes back like everyone speaks a different language you know uh the the um the what what the language has been like a lot of ink could be spilled over what what the language could be if it weren't uh you know, if it weren't this, right. Um, and the, the, like, if the, and, and whether it would be quite as focused, whether like pop emo would be quite as focused, a fire hose of, of grievance, uh, against, uh, ex-girlfriends or whatever, if, um, if Green Day had not come and, and done such a focused fire hose of, uh, you know, rat-a-tat rage against, uh, their parents, you know, and, and, and like, like Ryan said, punk had to sort of go big or go home to their parents' house and resent them quietly. I mean, Greg, I mean, based on you, you kind of being there, you know, because we were we were well behind the kind of front lines. We were on the home front where whereas <laughs> you were you were in the alternative rock trenches. Right. Sure. Um, and so I'd love to kind of hear some of the, you know, the disc, dispatches from the, the front of what you saw kind of going on, um, you know, the ripples out from Green Day, um, you know, in the kind of immediate uh, time period and what was kind of happening in the underground and and what bubbled up uh, to kind of the mainstream at this time um, in terms of tracing those lines of influence. Yeah, so, um, you know, 94 was pretty much the year, and I think a lot of people have sort of said it was the year that alternative went mainstream. Um that certainly was reflected at the, I worked at WFNX radio in Boston and that was the year we had our best ratings, uh, bar none. Um, a lot of it had to do with 
you know, the, the Kurt Cobain dying was, the, you know, we were peak Nirvana. Pearl Jam's Versus album was out, and that was about as big as Pearl Jam got in their time. You had a lot of um, rock radio artists that had their start in alternative music, like Stone Temple Pilots, which was definitely... Uh, if alternative radio didn't exist, they would have been played on, you know, the heritage rock radio stations. Um, but they've had a home on both of ours. And then uh, you had a band, you know, the only other band that sort of had punk ethos that was really breaking free and breaking through at this time would be like the offspring from Southern California. Right. Um, and while lyrically they were writing similar stuff in terms of angry teenagerdom. Their sound certainly wasn't the polished sound that um, I think would spread into the later 90s with, um, you know, emo, Weezer, things of that nature. You know, I'd even argue that um, if Dookie hadn't existed, we may not have had the third wave ska revival with bands like, you know, No Doubt and Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, um, because I think they just took uh, a sound that previously existed and really polished it up to a, a to a fine shine. Um, in terms of like what it meant to be an alternative radio at that time, um, it was it was interesting also because you know there were alternative was difficult because everything was alternative and nothing was alternative at the same time. Um, if a band wasn't polished for top 40 or, for, you know, geared towards urban artists, they often were trying to break anything and everything over to uh, to our radio station. So you'd have everything from, uh, you know, Marin Cadell's The Sweater Song, which was almost spoken word over a beat, to then, you know, Squirrel Nut Zippers would come around, and that's proto-swing. And uh, um, the Brit wa- Britpop came through, and so... Uh, and then you tried to have the heritage artists from from the '80s that were still trying to hang on for dear life, like the U2s. Um, so it was just a time of musical experimentation for what the listener might like. They're still trying and, to hang on for dear life. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but what was interesting about Green Day was, um, you know, we there was a brief chat we had before the the podcast about what truly is punk rock, um, and there are some that feel like punk rock can only be what true punk is, which is goes to its roots in London and New York city and the sex pistols and such. And then there's my sort of attitude, which is there's nothing more punk than really doing whatever the hell you want. Um, I, in college, there was a guy who did a, a cartoon for our newspaper, and he he drew all the people that worked at Tower Records dressed in black with the same Robert Smith haircut, and they all were repeating at infinitum, you know, I dress this way to express my individuality. And, you know, to me, that's nothing more than you just happen to be, it's preppy in a different look. So to be truly punk, it's to really just march to the beat of your own drummer. And while Dookie isn't necessarily marching to the beat of its own drummer, uh, it was a polished version of who these guys were at the core. And while the sound on the album uh, may not be, quote unquote, punk rock, you know, their live shows and the way these guys handled themselves and the way they put themselves out there in the interviews and, and media was, you know, absolutely like, you know, we don't give a fuck. And that's the way we are. There's, you know, there at the time there was a... Uh... 
uh, I think in the early '90s there was a King Missile song. Yeah, that detachable penis. Uh, <laughs> sure, I that was the oh, big. Sorry, that was the big one. one. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of one uh, where it had a lyric that was like, "I want to be different, just like everybody else," or "I want to be just like all the different people." And like, as this was a the facile irony that that everyone was dressing the same in order to express their individuality was not lost on us, fourteen year olds, and we just thought we were the king of like cultural criticism because we had we had cottoned on to this weird uh homogeneity and the people who were purportedly rebelling against the uh against the superstructure and we um we latched onto this king missile song uh oh uh, google tells me it's called it's saturday that um that has uh, uh that had this uh this lyric in it i want to be different like everybody else, I want to be like, I want to be like, just like all the different people. I have no further interest in being the same because I've seen uh, difference all around. Um, what was also happening in the with with the way the music scene was going and the way actually, you know, people were responding to music is you would go to almost any alternative music show in the '90s, the mid to late '90s, and people would be moshing. And it didn't matter if it was a Green Day type of band or if it was a 10,000 Maniacs type of band. It was like, I'm at a concert, I'm going to moth. And right. uh, it, it just, at, at a point, it, you know, it couldn't sustain itself. It was, it just, you know, became ridiculous and thankfully eventually stopped. Uh yeah. Well, um, so well, I, so I, I speaking. Mean, I, I mean, on, speaking of <laughs> on well, on that topic. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan. Well, no. Yeah. Yeah. No. Let's we're, we're, let's just mosh. Let's just keep verbally moshing each other. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh. Um, oh, I mean, I think that's uh. part of why I brought it up. I mean, um, and we'll we'll put this in the show notes. Um, but Greg shared a clip um, from a documentary about his the radio station that he that he worked at. Um, that. Um, the DJ that that had put on um, a infamous uh, Green Day concert uh, at the Hatch Shell, uh, which is a outdoor um, concert venue on 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 the river in Boston, home of the Boston Pops. Uh, if you've and, ever watched uh, the July Fourth fireworks for the Boston Pops, that's where it was. Exactly, um, and and, what and much much really like the July Fourth fireworks from the Boston Pops. Well, I, I think what 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 really struck me about watching this was the way that. Um, moshing was talked about by the news anchors, right? They call it moshing. <laughs> uh, and it was just unbelievable because, you know, that that to me, um, again, even at, at the age of 11, I mean, I didn't go to my first concert for, um, you know, probably five years. And yet, you know, by watching Woodstock, by watching MTV, I intuitively understood what moshing was. And so the idea that moshing would need to be explained, right, that there were the people who knew knew what moshing was and the people who would never understand. So, so you're, say, you're saying you just picked it up by moshmosis? <laughs> yes, I would. I would say that, and then I would, and then I would elbow you in the throat in the pit, and and, and kick you. Um, but no, you know, and I think what's interesting. I mean, and kind of picking up on a few things that you guys have said. That um, I mean, this idea that moshing 
would happen to any genre of music and that and and i i think this connects to something that we were talking about earlier about you know the words rage the words anger came up when talking about emotional content but i think going back to the original question of is this emo i think part of what is really interesting about green day itself even though it kind of tapped into anger and i think part of you know um the moshing was that, a real, uh, that there was a space for a release of aggression when you listen to dookie itself um what is striking and i think what does pave the way for emo beyond the sound um is the array of emotions that are ex- uh, expressed and yes there is anger but there is also there's disappointment there is um a lot of sarcasm right there's mm. a lot of of disdain right there's a lot of there are a lot of of, of hybrid emotions uh you know disappointment boredom disaffection um right and and i think that all of these um a draw on the punk palette uh, but b allow for i mean really do open up um the possibility of feeling a lot of different ways and feeling in kind of complicated hybrid ways. Um, it's sort of like the, you know, the, the Dookie is kind of the finale of, um, of, of the, the Pixar film inside out, right. Where, where, where you go from the, the childlike uh, world of the, just the kind of primary emotions um, and into this more, um, and into the more adult version of these kind of more complicated, uh, ambivalent hybrid uh, emotions. And I think that that, right, so that it is, it's emo in that it is uh, emotionally mature, right? Well, well, there's, there's an, I mean, there's an interesting thing, like, or, or emotionally complex, maybe, if not, if if not mature. Well, you can, you can still, um, convey immature emotions maturely, <laughs> or maybe vice versa, right? But yeah, there's there is a maturity in the complexity, that, even if oh, that's, you're mostly yeah. yeah. That's that's interesting because there is there is kind of a fallacy of imitative form in in terms of songs that will sort of break down to express chaos, or, or uh, you know, and I mean where where uh, as opposed to to doing what someone like Osei Shakespeare did and finding sort of high poetry to express express uh to express chaos in in something like king lear when the guy is going going absolutely off off his rocker um but the the i mean this the, an- another one another emotion that comes through though is like uh, you know in all the kind of the the uh, the anger, the kind of the fire, the the fire hose. It's 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 exuberance, right? And there's there's almost like just in the the ability to move, right? In the in the ability to kind of jump and swing your arms enough to to get in the pit and mosh like you mean it. You know the the there's a certain amount of kind of pleasure taken in one's own facilities and like i feel like that's expressed in the uh in the rhythmic uh songs i feel like it's expressed in the style of singing and especially in those like big juicy major key harmonies that could be like could be old girl group harmonies or brill building harmonies or something something like that right like the the hookiness of the uh the hookiness of of those singing those uh singing harmonies which are like very 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 tight um is something that uh 
uh, is something that expresses that that exuberance um, exuberance as well. And I, I mean, I, I don't mean to like sort of rag on rag on Green Day. I feel like a little bit it's expected um, that you do because there there is something you know there is something almost almost more mature about it than some of the uh, some of the Seattle based alternative rock, which was kind of. Um, uh, uh, kind of, uh, uh, just, uh, maybe less well-developed, uh, thoughtfully, uh, in, in its social critique. Um, Green Day seems almost existential by comparison and they're, they're raging not against a particular, or they're, they're reacting to, I should say, in a, in a sort of exuberant and complicated way, um, against not a particular, uh, kind of injustice that they want to protest or whatever, you know, whatever their parents do that's bullshit or patriarchy or whatever. They've sort of stared into the, uh, they've sort of stared into the face of boredom of like teenage boredom. They've stared into the, 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 uh, the void into the abyss. And, um, you know, what comes out is that you bite your lip and close your eyes. Right. (laughs) Well, I think the, what to follow up what you're saying with the, the comparisons between the Seattle bands and, and Green Day is, you know, Seattle maybe, you know, reflected the weather of the Northwest where there was this just overhanging uh, omnipresence of, of melancholy to, to the lyrics and the sound. Um, whereas Green Day, they're enjoying being the misfits. Um, they're having fun with their rage. I mean, even just the album cover itself has this sort of uh, chaotic party feel to it, um, but cartoony at the same time. And, um, I think that's definitely reflected lyrically, but also, as you know, talking sonically, um, the Mike Byrne on bass and Trey Cool on drums are just, I mean, they're so crisp with what they're playing. And, and um, you know, it's a wall of sound record, but it's so clean in terms of sonics. And it's it's not because, you know, you think of uh, bands that go from, you know, their independent releases to a major label, and they usually obviously sound much uh cleaner or, or fuller uh but even on their their kerplunk and their other first album um they still had that sort of similar sonic quality even when they had a much smaller recording budget and that carried through onto dookie in terms of this uh this uh happy-go-lucky um screw the world we're gonna have uh, we've got angst but we're gonna enjoy the ride hmm yeah no i mean and it's i mean just picking up on the kind of the the skill of all i mean all of the musicians but especially the that rhythm section i mean i think that as i was listening you know some of the another element of the exuberance um is um the bass lines right mike dern's uh bass lines are i mean really just incredible like melodicism right um and it's i mean i think probably most notably or memorably on um on longview right where the kind of uh in the verses that bass line that kind of what kind of a walking bass line um yeah is, almost a blues thing because there's like a flat I, seven in it and a little bit of a skiffle beat yeah yeah right uh and 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 again that was like unlike anything that i had heard at the time um and and it's uh there's a few other places right the breakdown um of welcome to paradise right has um this you know the base is uh, is not just the anchor but is the thing that's moving right um and um and similarly um the the absolute 
you know, speed and energy of, of the drumming. Um, and, and what's great when you watch the live shows, um, and we'll also put in the link of the uh, Woodstock 94 appearance is like, like any good punk band, right. That their live show is like five to 10 BPMs faster. Um, and it's just, it's amazing to watch them at the height of their powers. Um, because they are, they are snotty. They are, they are inciting the crowd to throw mud and or feces. You know, they are, they are, swearing they're being vulgar they're being insulting and yet their chops are so good right and and it is just incredible and, and watching trey cool um i mean the speed of of the fills um and you know a, a, like just as written and as recorded is impressive and then taking that um you know up up five to ten bpm is just it's just incredible uh and it's really the and again i mean it helps right they were what like 21 right 22 um, yeah 21 22 uh right and so they were um you know they they were they were uh at this kind of i mean it's an athletic performance right uh and there is something about that right that uh and and that is i feel like in a bit of a contrast to even some of the earlier punk. Um, I mean, I, I think about this uh, in wake of the past, uh, in the wake of Chuck Berry's passing, something that made the rounds uh, is this uh, excerpt from a 1980 interview from like a zine in which he reviews um, current and recent like punk and post-punk bands. Right. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, some of his things like uh, about the clash, uh, he says uh, about the clash is complete control. He says, did this guy have a sore throat when he sang the vocals? Um, right. And about God save the queen. Uh, he says, what's this guy so angry about anyway? Um, can't understand most of the vocals. If you're going to be mad, at least let the people know what you're mad about. Right. And, and I think that again, like here you have, um, you, like you are able to, to Green Day conveys what they are, what not only what they're mad about, but like what they are, they're feeling, right? And I, I think jumping into some of the songs, I mean, I think, um, I think immediately of the the uh, the first one, I mean, uh, the the. Uh, the burnout, right, um, is, you know, the, the, the kind of sarcastic chorus is, I'm not growing up, I'm just burning out, and I stepped in line to walk amongst the dead, right? Um, and and I, I think that that is, um, yeah, I, I feel like that kind of is, is, as Matt was saying, this kind of clear existential statement of purpose. Yeah, the, the, uh, the interesting, there's an interesting thing here where like, what is the, what is growing up versus burning out, right? Like if you don't, if you burn out, uh, uh, if 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 growing up is burning out, like if stepping in line to walk amongst the dead, like joining the man in the gray flannel suit and whatnot, um, the if this is the kind of death in life that the adult world represents, what is the vision of growing up that's that's set against that? I, I think what is growing up versus burning out. I think that 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 
that that it's well it's a it's kind of a a false dichotomy right um well is it i mean is is right exactly right right and is burning out like becoming a burnout like in the sense of the i don't know se hinton like the outsiders like the greasers or something like that uh or is burning out uh, a kind of like compromise you know a kind of compromise of values that's that's involved with with adult life and sort of selling out like is burning out selling out and how is is growing up uh uh uh, different from that. I mean, it does it does sort of change your perspective when you reflect that everyone was like 22 when they when they recorded this, or like you know, like the like the four hip hop albums that we, that we covered over the last four weeks. They were all like 20, you know, and and it's uh, uh, the fact that they don't see old age is a little more sinister on those those hip hop albums because it's talking about a kind of reality in the in the places where they they grew up, but the and the kind of fragility of life there but but like i guess when you're that age there's no there's no good version of becoming mom and dad right well i think also it's kind of coincidental that the last song on their uh kerplunk album before this one was a cover of the who's my generation which is all about that dichotomy right there and then they start their next album with burnout and you know i would argue that green day may have been as influenced more by the who than they were by necessarily the Ramones and the Sex Pistols. Um, yeah. They just, uh, if you think of early mod era who, you know, my generation, they even do songs about masturbation with pictures of Lily. And, you know, John Entwistle and Keith Moon certainly sound like Trey Cool and Mike Dirt sonically. Um, so there is that aspect, I think, that the, I'm sure that in the Bay Area, these guys were listening to the who albums uh, before they got hold of Ramones albums growing up. Hmm. Man, it's like the my generation for my generation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, uh, what what other songs jumped out to you guys? I mean, I, what were other kind of things? I mean, that either at the time or in on the re-listen um, that kind of opened up bigger bigger things for you. Well, the tri- I mean, the trio of singles was inescapable at the right. right at the time and i you know i had i grew up in la so we had k-rock uh which was a huge um huge kind of proponent of this format and uh, ended up putting on a lot of like influential promotions and and breaking a lot of uh breaking breaking a lot of people um and it was more it was more towards the kind of seattle based alternative stuff though it is i mean it is interesting to, to hear greg describe it right like the 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 way that like if it's not you know it it, it taint your hoo hoo and it taint your ha ha so it's alternative rock yeah. Uh, and and that like uh, this sort of like this sort of taint positioning of uh, of just the kind of the other the other things as Ryan described it a couple uh, a couple months ago um, an alternative to rock uh, in 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 what this was but this this you know I mean it blew up K Rock it blew up uh, it blew up um, uh, MTV right and like and and the like the visual presentation of uh of long view with you know sitting the um sitting on in the like the uh, uh tv tray looking like um kind of depressing looking couch all alone cut together with like in the in the chorus when it gets loud again um the that's when the band footage comes in or in uh uh when i come around with the um uh the uh, the hospital setting right 
or no, it's not where when I come wrong. It's uh, it's basket case basket is the case. Me- yeah, yeah the, the mental institution appropriately enough uh, in the mental institution um, or uh, you know. Well, and when I come around is the is the walk through kind of Berkeley and Oakland right? yeah. is the is the circular walk. Um, yeah. Uh, is that the one where they're looking from? Uh, is that is that the one with that kind of trades the gaze from per, from party to party to party along the along the street? Or is that Welcome to Paradise that 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 does that? Welcome to Paradise is concert footage. It's a lot. Oh. It's uh, when I come around. It's where when I come around where, where that like they're they're coming around, but there's there's yeah there's this sense in which it's like everyone is rear windowing uh, everybody else. So I don't know. Those are those are all the songs, or at least those are like ringing the changes on on the three uh, the three big singles. I, I guess we could take them. We could take them in order if you want. Um, you know, but they're all they have a common theme, which is um, that I'm a loner. I'm a misfit. I'm unlovable. Um, you know, th- these are, are songs written by somebody who has loneliness in them. Um, and then even, um, she, which is, was the, the, the last single from the album has, is, is, uh, written sort of from the, the trying to get a, a somebody that you briefly dated back, even though they're, they're not paying attention to your, your, um, protestations. Um, so it, there is that commonality thing through a lot of these songs of, um, and I, I think I know from the stories are that, that Billy had a lot of internal mental anguish about his sexuality growing up that probably informed how he was when, as a 21 year old, uh, trying to make his way through his romantic life. Yeah, there, uh, there is a, there's a sense of sort of, um, uh, there's a sense of sort of lonerness or, or of a kind of, um, I don't know. Yeah. A kind of middle position that makes it, that, that actually makes him a little bit, uh, more sympathetic with, with other people or a little bit more empathic, right? Like, like she, um, yeah, I don't know. The, what's, she, what's, she screams in silence, a sullen riot penetrating through her mind, waiting for a sign to smash the silence with a brick of self-control. Right. The and, brick of self-control. Right. And the, 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 um, yeah, I mean, which is interesting. Like the, the, si- the silence is opposed to self-control. The silence isn't imposed by, by self-control. But, but, uh, I was, I was thinking in two directions at once, which is why I wasn't going anywhere. One is like, this is an interesting counterpoint with don't call me daughter. Uh, and the the other is that like if you look at the verse the verses of this song um there's there's a certain amount of like it's close to the it's close to the consciousness of the girl that's being described right mm-hmm. Ra- rather than rather than talking from the point of view of the eye that is that is like talking about the girl or to the girl um yeah. it's sort of it's it's describing the the kind of the thought processes from a familiar or a sympathetic uh, a sympathetic point of view, and I, I meant to connect that with something that that uh, Greg had said about sort of Billy Joe's sort of own identity struggles mm-hmm. and sort of not feeling not feeling a secure not feeling a secure footing identity wise um, 
is, you know, is a tough thing to endure growing up, but it does have uh, a trade-off, which is that there, there is a kind of ability to identify. There's like a greater range of identification that, that, uh, that you can find that's sort of like belonging, but not belonging sense allows you to kind of, um, step into other people's skins. Even, even the, 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 uh, the trick of kind of, uh, playing a role, like playing a social role, yeah. uh, allows you to kind of slip into other people's skins poetically a little bit and like that. And, uh, it makes this song, um, you know, uh, a better, um, than uh than some of the the uh later work of death cab like el dorado or uh you know something <laughs> like that where where the you know the girl is a you you know uh ra- rather than being rather than being someone who can be sort of understood and uh, a subject rather than an object well i mean i love this i mean right it's, it's kind of going back to to the course and you alluded to it right um are you locked up in a world that's been planned out for you are you feeling like a social tool without a use right it's it's um and that's kind of even though it, there's the you there right i mean right, like thinking about the way the pronouns morph right from the she to the you um and and so the you is kind of anyone who is kind of for anyone who's been the she right of the first of the verse um and then he and then it turns to the me right um and it's scream at me until my ears bleed i'm taking heed just for you right it's it's kind of being this kind of emotional whipping boy right um and uh i mean this idea billy joe right? is is emo jesus taking on the sins of the... exactly right <laughs> no exactly and it's it's kind of amazing right um that you know right he has he has the emotional stigmata right um and uh right his ears are bleeding and uh, he's bathed in the mud of his followers and worshipers yeah, exactly <laughs> and the, in the the river of fundament. <laughs> um, no, but I think there's something really there of of kind of. I mean, and and I guess that's a way in which, though, weirdly, um, it is it, it is not emo, right? Like because like the 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 emo approach is very uh, I and you, um, and does not really empathize at all, right? Um, it, like uh, and 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 thus doesn't generate that empathy, right? Um, um, and, um, you know, the, the emo bands take heed for no one, <laughs> um, uh, let alone just for the you of the song. Um, and so I think that that's, um, that's, that's right. And I think it does, um, it, it connects to the other three, the, the, you know, it, it, it is interesting that she, uh, was kind of the last of the singles. Um, and it's interesting cause I've, it's been always one of my favorites. Um, one of my personal favorites and I've never totally thought about why I always just, you know, some of those lines just always connect, but this is, this, um, un, unpacks it. And I think, it, I mean, it's really interesting kind of in, you know, in the sequence of the album, it follows basket case. And I, I think that it really connects. I mean, right. And think about this, right. Here's how um, a basket case opens. Do you have the time to listen to me whine? Right. That that is the um, the flip side of scream at me until uh, until my ears bleed. Right. Um, and uh, and and so this idea of even um, you know it, you know just that like 
you know what what is it uh what was the the tagline for that movie SWAT right like like even police need to call 911 sometime right like um right even um even emo Jesus needs to 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 whine to someone right <laughs> um, and and I think that you know because he's been you know he both has um his uh, the, you know what he is working through and is absorbing so much um for someone else that then when he tries to to vent it is crazy right and and, and that he you know it ends up either going around in his his own mind um or when he says it it comes out in such a way that it is that it's put in a box right um and that no one is really taking him seriously right the shrink um the shrink or the whore um are not are not uh, not giving him the the kind of sounding board or or um consideration that um that he is giving to to she right yeah um the the it's so courteous in right in asking do you have the time to listen to me whine <laughs> right it's like it's very you know it's clearly from someone who's been been uh, in a lot of therapy and and appreciates boundaries but by the end of the album, he doesn't want the role of emo Jesus. Um, he doesn't really want the role of of being part of society with FOD, right. um, where he basically says the line, let's nuke the bridge we've torched 2,000 times before. This time we'll blast it all to hell, um, where he basically is telling everybody just fuck off and die. Specifically, I think one person, but uh, maybe even himself. Um, he, uh, like uh, many, did have... Uh, you know, suicidal thoughts at, at times. So, um, it's interesting with the, to, to put it all to a, a point on their major label breakthrough where it's just like, well, screw you. Um, yeah, it is interesting. Right. And I mean, I remember thinking about like that in terms of whether it's kind of personal relationships or like a scene. Right. And, um, I, I remember reading that, uh, the, the, the punk club that they played at right after they signed the the deal or after the album came out, uh, they were banned for life. Um, right. From the, uh, the, I think it was like a Berkeley club or a yeah. Bay area club. Right. Um, and, and I, I love this idea of, um, you know, I, the, the idea of, nuking the burnt bridge right um is 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 really compelling because the idea of well the way that some of these scenes some of these relationships work um that have potentially this kind of cyclical or codependent relationship is you burn the bridge and then you rebuild the bridge um but like the the finality of nuking the bridge um is kind of reaching a a um a point of no return right um and and that's kind of it's 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 credible right i mean the thing is like what one of the things that you can do with the the power of a nuke is propel yourself forward. Right. Um, and, and they still kind of, you know, that, that, that rocket launch, uh, you know, launched this trajectory that as we talked about earlier, um, you know, is still, is still fueling them. Right. And they're still kind of, um, uh, uh going, um, and, and they're still banned at the punk club. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the image of a bridge is like important, to a Bay Area band, right? Because yeah. like, you know, I don't know, San Francisco is sort of associated with a couple of like famous and, and super consequential uh, bridges, you know? And so the idea, the idea of like, well, burning the bridge being a, being a metaphor, but it's also a little bit like if we're banned from the punk club in, in Berkeley, well, let's nuke the Bay bridge, right? Because like, we don't need to travel across the Bay. We don't need to go to the East Bay anymore. Right. 
Um, and the the yeah. album cover itself, they're nuking Berkeley. I mean, that's uh, the, yep. the 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 scene for the the plane dropping the dookie bombs on on the townsfolk and um you know billy joe was at the time said you know well we got banned by the club where we grew up well so what we'll just get in our you know van and drive forward um and leave you guys behind and so you know putting the middle finger up in the air and and becoming a a 10 million selling debut album debut major label album i mean berkeley is it's an easy straw man for for this sort of thing (laughs) but it really is you know just on every level insufferable i mean it is it is interesting right that and i i noticed this in the um in in the in the the Woodstock footage, right? That there's a, a number of times where they are very preoccupied about hippies, um, like yes. extraordinarily so, right? And there's one moment, kind of near the middle of the set, where he says, "Oh, look at this guy, he's a punk," um, and he wants everyone to know that he's a punk. Uh, and then I think they say something to the effect of, "You're not a punk, you're a hippie." <laughs> um, and, I mean, the band setting up behind them on the rotating stage, going on right after green day with santana (laughs) oh man oh amazing um yeah i mean that is i mean just i liked i liked i liked his work with with rob thomas you know (laughs) (laughs) right that's the i mean that's the interesting thing is that right i mean uh that you know, just as as you have punk Jesus, it's also you know the the John the Baptist of all the shitty music of the late nineties, right? Like uh, that that's the thing about these these dialectics, right? Um, although again, I think as as we did a few episodes ago, I still blame Counting Crows for Rob Ta- Rob Thomas featuring Santana. Um, I feel without like, yeah without Dookie, would there be a Matchbox Twenty? Right, yeah. Oh. Man. Or the late, yeah, exactly. The later years of Blink One Eighty Two, the kind of the decline. So, so we have to, we have to go back and Hitler kill. I, I think to be safe, both Green Day and Counting Crows. I mean, right? We have to, we have to Dookie bomb the Bay Area. Well, yeah. Right? I mean, let's let's nu- exactly, exactly. Let's nuke the bridge that would that we've burned two thousand times before. Is uh, is what you're saying? Um, let's uh, let's hit the other singles at least before we. Uh, you know, before we punk off into the punk off into the sunset, um, you know, Longview is uh, uh, Longview is an interesting Longview is an interesting one because of the way it talks about the kind of the the interplay between kind of feeling confined and the like the self imposed. Um, nature of the the confinement right like he says i lock the door to my he, he describes himself as a dog in heat barred indoors from the summer street but he locked the doors to his own cell and he he lost the key so this isn't like you know uh, the 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 analysis of his predicament is a little more sophisticated than just like you know fuck everybody fuck you fuck everything um it's it's a little you know he sort of understands how the sense of paralysis the sense of stasis and the kind of the the intolerable confinement is part of is a, a result of his own choices or his own action or inaction a little bit and this is the song to me that was the smart one to be the first single because this is the one that completely speaks to the teenage angst of the audience that would yep. uh, cause these guys to break through to the mainstream. Um, uh, and and I would argue possibly the greatest masturbation song of all time. I mean, there's a lot of candidates out there, but um, mm. this one to me, at least male masturbatory song, really just 
uh, you guys being that age, as, and you talked about it at the beginning of the podcast, Ryan, this was the song that sort of uh, ushered you into manhood as much as you know, any dirty magazine. Yeah. Well, right, because it's like the dirty magazine itself, like it's just itself. It doesn't tell you what to do with it, <laughs> um, right? Then, right. So then, this is the this is the, this is the yeah. This is the manual. Step one: bite lip. Step two: <laughs> close eyes. Spoke some inspiration. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Uh, yep. Uh, and and before long, you'll be smelling like shit and glow, going blind. Um, that's it's, that's it's, just a myth. That's a myth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, at least the going blind. Uh, the smell, like, I, I guess maybe I, I guess I really didn't know. I, maybe I needed to know a little more about what to do. If you're smelling like shit, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I needed to, or you needed to masturbate in the shower. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, then I guess I guess then kind of, kind of finish ringing the changes. Um, that that. Uh, when I come around is, is kind of, I mean, does it fit thematically with all these? I mean, you're right that it, it has the, the kind of loner theme. Um, but in terms of both the sound of it and some of the content, it, I mean, it, it does it, does it fit with these or is this, is it kind of an outlier? Well, sonically, it certainly is the, the, the least punk song on the album. Um, and it was also there, the, you know, it was a top 10 hit on the billboard charts um so it was the one that absolutely if there was any you know holding back for them breaking through to the mainstream this is the one that pushed them fully through um but even you know lyrically it's kind of and and with the video it's just guys with their friends sort of hanging around trying to figure out what they're doing to kill a day um so there isn't much punk about this in in any manner way shape or form um but I think it still fits into the overall album because it's just the most polished of some polished pop punk gems. I also do think, I mean, I love the idea, right. That, you know, in, in terms of all these things that we've talked about of, of inertia of whether it's kind of burning out or kind of being stuck, like kind of with Velcro right in, in long view that it's that this is a, um, a, a feature rather than a bug, right? Cause it's that there's no, no, no time to search the world around. Cause you know, where I'll be found when I come around, right? I mean, the idea of also like kind of, there's like longing, but, and, and it's, you know, in the video, they're they're kind of moving, they're roaming. Um, but the, there's a sense of yeah, it might seem like I'm roaming, it might seem like I'm a free range punk, but really, like you know where to find me. And and I, if I remember correctly, um, this song was about um, his now uh, wife, right? Um, and and I think he had dated her, was not with her at the time um, of of writing and recording the song, um, and then and then got together with her um, later. Um, and I, I I could be I could be wrong, but that's how I seem to remember this. So this idea of, I mean, it is this kind of, it's it's a a love song in the manner of uh of this and, it, and it, at the moment is ambivalent but this idea of of kind of you know of, of seizing the inertia as an opportunity to that, that in some ways you know by not forcing right um i mean so on the one hand right it's right that um 
so you know it, it, he says you may find out that your self-doubt means nothing was ever there you can't go something forcing something if it's just not right but at the same time um that that kind of attitude on the one hand i think while out while at the time of writing it is this kind of despair or giving up like the, there's something about the passivity of um how some of the outlook is constructed is that the the flip side is uh if it's if it is right, um, then you don't uh, then you don't need to go forcing it uh, because it's just it just happens. Right. And so this I this kind of the, the laissez faire attitude or the kind of um, the, the passivity or or burnoutness um, seems to have worked in a way of letting it happen and, and letting it be. Um, and I think there's something kind of interesting um, uh, in, in that outlook and how it relates to a relationship. Yeah. The, the, I mean, this is the video that I was thinking about before, where as the band is roaming around set against that, that there are people in their kind of stationary bubbles. There's a man in a wheelchair looking out the window at a ballet class. The dancers in the ballet class are looking out the window at, you know, a couple of, uh, across the street who are looking at, you know, a, a fancy woman dressed up in expensive clothes. Who's looking at a young African-American girl who is in a Marie Antoinette costume. Who's looking down at a, uh, at a guy who looks like an Eastern European pimp or, or, or things like this. And like, so there, there, there's this dichotomy between like people who fit in and people who roam, you know, that there are these kind of small, but there are kind of these small bubbles of community or kind of stability. And then the, 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 like the punk is, is, you know, the, a walks through the, uh, through the streets sort of seeking or kind of lonely or kind of not, not really, uh, not really fitting in anywhere. And there's no sense of like, you either do or you don't, there's no real account of like working for it or trying to kind of make it happen. It's just that like, um, it's just that like, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And there's this kind of essentialist idea about like who fits in, who doesn't fit in. Um, you're, you're either, uh, you're either a stationary person or you're a, a, a roaming person and the band are all, you know, obviously roaming people in this video. And you'd almost think like a lot of times you, you hear about, um, times where, they, oh, we don't have the hit single, so they put together one last song and added to the album. And it, this almost comes sounds like it could have been that case, but um, everything when they went into the studio they had already pre-written. So uh, you know, this was just part of their ethos coming in. And uh, I just think that uh, they polished this one up the best. Mm. Well, is there? A, I mean, we want just because you're here, Greg. We want we want to make sure you get everything uh, out that you that you want to say. Is there a song that you want to go out on uh, as we get close to wrapping? Um, you know, honestly, she is like, like Ryan said, one of my favorite songs. Um, you know, it, to me, it's almost a monkey song, uh, sonically. Um, I've always been attracted as much to, to Green Day because of the, the way they sound as much as the lyrics. Um, but you know, I just think, I, I think that Chump would be a good one to go out on, um, especially because of how, uh, it just packs the, the, uh, the lyrics into the first part of the song and then, has this smooth transition with Mike Dern's bass riffs and Trey Cool's drumming, which eventually fades out and goes straight into the long view, their yeah. first single. Um, and, and that just, you know, you don't really have that happening usually with, with punk songs, as you said earlier on, they're like a minute and 48 seconds long. And, you know, the Ramones ethos of one, two, three, four and bang. And they always have a, a stone cold ending. Um, but just, uh, um, 
I think that the I'm a chump is uh, is almost a theme that comes throughout it uh, with uh, that was sort of the mindset of Billy when he was writing some of these lyrics that if, if I'm a chump, how can I be loved? I'm a chump. Uh, I'm a loser. I'm a loner. Um, I'm trying to get the girl I love back uh, with uh, with when I come around. Um, and then at the end, well, screw it. I'm a chump. I'm just going to tell you all to fuck off and die. Right. The, 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 like, it's an interesting thing. Again, the, the kind of the situation is, is ironized or is kind of analyzed in a more sophisticated way. Like the verse the or the alternate sort of stanzas are like, I don't know you, but I think I hate you. You're the reason for my misery. And the, uh, the even stanzas are, you know, um, maybe I'm just dumb. Maybe it's just jealousy mixing with a violent mind, or maybe I'm just dumb that, that he's a very He's a he's an analyst of his own. He's an analyst of his own predicament in a way that is not um, not ever particularly straightforward. I mean, it, you know, the, Greg pointing out uh, a few things about this song, both the kind of way that the I'm a chump kind of connects to a lot of the other songs and the way that this um, that chump segues into Longview indicates that, you know, maybe this is in fact Green Day's first concept album, right? And uh, <laughs> uh, and it should be their next Broadway musical, uh, it, I, you know, Dookie the Musical. Uh, and uh, and and I, I think it's there thematically. Uh, and maybe, I don't know, I don't know if the dogs are, uh, I think the dog, the poop throwing dogs should show up for sure in Dookie the Musical. Uh, um, but uh, because like there is is a um that you know that that yes and you know it is a concept album in part because it is the, the the concepts are very simple but there is a kind of unity of like working around the different sides and facets of this specific moment um that is pretty surprising for that time i mean it's not a concept albums um are not unprecedented in punk right we talked about london calling um but this is a a kind of this is this kind of inward looking um london calling um that does uh, as we say kind of connect it um to all of these different kind of genres that come after to emo to um to to these other kind of uh, ambitious movements and and i think that kind of that this that realization of you know what is the sophistication that's going on at the level of not just at the level of the individual songs, but at the level of the album as a whole um, is pretty, pretty uh, compelling. I I would like to see a crossover between the dogs uh, from the green day cover art (laughs) and the dogs from the, the doggy style, uh, comic that was on the reverse right. <laughs> on the verso of the of the uh, booklet for for doggy style. Um, I just I just feel like they they would have great adventures uh, together, right? Like uh, they'd throw some shit. They'd uh, uh, I don't know, kick their girlfriend. Have some sex. Of, right, have exactly. sex. Yeah, smoke sex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's uh, let's leave it there. Let's let's bring this this punk train screaming into the station. We've exceeded the the length of the album in our discussion by like a a, a factor of one point five, and that's a that's a good ratio for us to stop at. Um, Greg, thanks very much for joining the discussion. Uh, thanks for having me. It, uh, do you want to do you want to give a, a Twitter handle or some coordinates where people can find you? I'm just at Weimer, W-Y-M-E-R, and uh, definitely go to the show notes and check out the uh, the Hatchell film. It'll it'll uh, 
remind you what this was energy and lifestyle and just the whole dookie phenomenon was about back in 1994 oh i had flashbacks watching that some of the like the man on the street footage that the news crew got for interviews for for stuff like that i was like oh my god i missed the 90s and it, it re, you know <laughs> it's like how uh you know like chokers i miss chokers apparently they're a thing again fashion fashion wise um let's uh let's uh let's leave it there let's all meet in in the comments on the show notes uh, and until then, uh, until next time when we, when when we're back, or until the next time we see you, uh, let's not nuke the bridge that we've burned ten thousand uh, two thousand times before. However many times that we've burned it, two hundred fifty five times I think we've burned the bridge as of this episode. Um, but but no matter what we do, let's make sure that we all keep it real. I mosh you. I mosh you. I mosh you.